Great to see you guys here today. A little rain, a little sleet, a little cold. Man, that's not going to keep us from coming here, right? Come on now. I mean, we'll even come in shorts and flip-flops <laughs> in the middle of a winter storm. That's, that's impressive. I like that. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. Uh, you should have got a program when you came in. If you got a Connect card, just remember that's a, a key piece. We'd love for you to fill that out. Also want to point your attention to some invite cards. Uh, this series that we're doing is going to last all month long on Sundays. And then also Christmas Eve, Eve the 23rd, we're going to have a special candlelight service that'll wrap this whole series up. And so Christmas is the number one time to invite someone not in church to church. Did you know that? They'll come if you invite them. So use this as a tool. Invite uh, your friends and family to come with you. We'd love to see them here. So today we're starting a new series. And to do that, I want to ask you about anticipation. Have you ever realized the fun of anticipation, that anticipating something's really half the fun of the, of the thing, whatever it is, like Christmas? If you're a little kid, man, already you're anticipating Christmas morning, am I right? How many of you have those little uh, calendars or little doors you open or little candy canes you take off that count down the days to Christmas? We have them. And, it, and when I was a kid, it seemed like there was like 84 days in, in the month of Christmas trying to get to Christmas Eve, man. Anticipation. That's why we do that. Uh, I don't know about you, but when we finally wrapped some gifts and got a few under the tree, and now as the kids walk by the tree, it's like, hmm, what's in that one? Hey, that's got my name on it. Oh, man, that's a big one. And it's the anticipation we're building. Just, it's not just the day, it's the leading up to the day. That's a lot of fun, right? Same thing with birthdays at our house. We, we try not to make it like normal day, normal day, birthday, normal day, normal day. We try to like lead up to it and build some anticipation. So in January, Shay told me last time I mentioned the two other kids and I didn't mention her. So in January, uh, I heard about that. In January... Uh, it's her birthday on the 27th, so all month long, we'll call her the almost birthday girl. The almost birthday girl. And she's 13, and she's probably rolling her eyes over there. But it's a way to say this. Look, we're looking forward to it. We're gonna, we can't wait to celebrate you with you. And it builds the anticipation of the day. That's why we're starting a series on Christmas now. I know it's December 9th. But we want to build some anticipation we want to build some excitement looking forward to the day that, that the coming of Christ is such a key and pivotal and exciting event that we want to lead into that. We want to get our hearts prepared for that. We want to make room in our spirits for the things of God in this, in this time of the year. Because let's be honest, there's a lot of other things competing for our attention right now, right? Are you ever more busy than you are in December? It's crazy. Busy, busy. How about just the pressure we face? There's financial stress, trying to get all the presents and family stuff going on and, and just dealing with uh, work stress and trying to get things wrapped up for a few days off and, and the list goes on and on. I would also say this, there's some stuff in our hearts, guys, that if we want to really embrace Emmanuel, that God with us, this amazing event called Christmas, that there's some things in our heart that we need to do business with now so that we have our hearts ready to experience Christ in a profound way this year. 
So if you've got your Bibles, we're going we're gonna to do just that, and you can turn to Luke chapter 2. This same issue of being ready for Christmas and room in our hearts for Christmas, it was true today, and it was true back at the first Christmas, and so we're going to look at that together. And it picks up in verse uh, 4 of Luke 2. It says this, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available to them. Now leave that verse up there. Many of you have heard the translation over and over growing up that there was no room for them in the in the inn, right? That's what we all are familiar with. No room for them in the inn, but the actual word in the scripture is a very generic term that means guest room. There was no room for them in the guest room at Christmas. Now, that's interesting. We're hanging on to that a second. But I want you to realize something. When you envision Mary and Joseph coming into town into Bethlehem, I don't know what your mental image is, but now, I sort of picture them worn out from the journey and coming in on, don on donkey fumes and, you know, just barely getting there. They're coasting into town, right? And they're strangers in a strange land, in a strange town. Is that how you picture it? That's how I, I've always thought of it. But you want to realize something. We said in that passage we just read that they were going back to the city of David because that's where they were from. That's where Joseph's descendants were from. And they were going back there because there was a census and the Romans made them go back to their hometown and be registered in their hometown. Now, you know what that means? When they came into Bethlehem, they were coming into their hometown. They were coming as strangers there. They knew people there. They were family there. They had lived in Galilee for a while, but they actually had roots in this place. And no one had room for them. Now, does that strike you as odd? If you went home and nobody had room for you, if you went back to your hometown and there was no place to stay, that strikes me as odd. And by the way, I want you to understand the, the, the dynamic here. In a Jewish, typical Jewish home in this time, their houses were two rooms and a roof. What do I mean? It was one structure, uh, one room in the, in the bottom floor and one room in the top floor. And then in the cool of the day, they could use the roof, uh, enjoy that. And in the way this worked was during the day, that, that um, bottom floor, they had a dirt floor. They would, they would use it for everything. They would cook there. They'd clean there. They do their whole daily living there. And then at night, when it got cold and the robbers could be out and all that kind of thing, they would bring their animals, cattle, chickens, sheep, goats, whatever they had. They would bring it in in the bottom floor and the animals would sleep in the bottom floor and the family would sleep together in the top floor. First of all, I'm thinking, what kind of smell came out of that bottom floor? Could you imagine? And then I thought, my family of five in one bed together, that's rough. Because my kids sleep sideways. I don't know about your kids. They sleep sideways. I go to wake them up. They're like heads at the footboard. I'm like, what happened last night? No wonder they went and got married at 16 and 17. They're tired of sleeping with mom and dad. I don't blame them. Time to get out. 
But you got to understand something. When, when a family came in town, and, and the Middle Easterns are, are renowned for their hospitality, right? When a guest would come, they would make a way. They would take all those animals of the downstairs, and they would tie them up outside and let them sleep outside for a night. And they would sweep it really good and clean it up. And they would allow their guests to sleep in the downstairs room. Except for Mary and Joseph. Nobody offered that. No one in their hometown offered them to be able to come and sleep in that downstairs room. The inns were full from the census. We get that. But think about that. No one in their family, their extended family, offered them the grace to come and stay with us. I thought, why in the world did that happen? Why in the, what's the explanation why nobody opened their doors to Mary and Joseph? And that dawned on me. Mary and Joseph were engaged to be married, and that day that was a pretty significant thing. It was almost like you were married. It's different than today. You really couldn't back out at that point. But if somebody had done the math, Mary was about to pop, and they had gotten engaged just a few months ago. And the one reason I can come to that why no one allowed Mary and Joseph in their home was because of judgment. They cast stones they cast lots against them and said that couple is not staying with us and because of their hearts were full of judgment they missed out on all that God wanted to do in their midst too full of judgment you know the family of Joseph is never mentioned in the scriptures and you never see them in the gospels and they're just unknown, completely missed out on the plan of God. The creator of the universe who spoke this world into being decided that in order to save us from the wreck we had caused by our own selfishness and sin, he decided to become flesh and make his dwelling among us and come in the form of a baby and live a sinless life that he might be the perfect sacrifice for the sin of the world and they missed it. Because their hearts were too full of crud, of the judgment. See, when our hearts are full of crud, we don't have room for Christ. That was true in that day, and that is true today, and it's been true every day since. When our hearts are full of crud, like judgment and envy, when our hearts are full of things like pride, when our hearts are full of things like um, anger and worry and fear, it pushes out what God wants to do, and we have no room for Christ. Well, you know what? God couldn't stand that. He couldn't stand that they had pushed him out. So the very next verse, I find this very ironic. The very next verse in Luke 2, this is what it says. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel's presence was awesome. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will be of, cause great joy for all the people. And he announced to them, these unimportant shepherds, these would have been boys, shepherd boys, the lowest of the low. Nobody wanted to be a shepherd. Nobody aspired to be a shepherd. It was the worst station and worst job available in that day. And, they, and God says, listen, I can't let this monumental event of the coming of the Christ, that God becoming flesh, that my son would become a man and live among you. I couldn't let that event happen without notice. And so even though the family rejected 
rejected me. I'm going to these shepherd boys and someone will bear witness to this event. And so he calls little shepherd boys to come and see the first people to lay their eyes on God in his flesh, Jesus Christ. By the way, what, what, where, were the, where were the shepherds when, uh, when the angel appeared? Did you guys notice? Go back there, will you? They were keeping watch where? In the fields. Outside, right? Just so you know, y'all are going to hate me. Just so you know, they, the shepherds in that day in Israel would watch the sheep uh, and, and their animals outside from early spring to late fall. They would be outside with the animals. But when it's cold in December in Atlanta, Georgia, it's also cold in Israel. It's winter. And they would not be outside in wintertime. So this didn't happen in December. Nobody get mad at me. Deep breaths. You're telling me Jesus wasn't born on December 25th at midnight or the eve or the perfect whatever? No. It's okay. Everything else in the scriptures is true. It never says he was born that day. He obviously wasn't, but we don't know what day Jesus was born. So December 25th? Sure. <laughs> Sounds good. Let's do that. Is everybody okay with that? I don't need any hate mail, okay? You check me. Anyway, back to the narrative here. Back to the narrative. The relatives were cut out of the story because they refused. They refused to make room in their hearts and their lives for Jesus. But someone else got put in the story, didn't they? The shepherds got put in. You see that? This isn't the first time that's happened. Uh, it happened also to the people of Israel. I don't know if you realize it or not, but most of your Bible is the Old Testament. And your Bible is broken into two pieces, the Old and the New. And in the Old Testament, starting in the 12th chapter, very early in the whole thing, God picked out a man, Abram, and then his name became Abraham, and he became a nation. And this nation, Israel, uh, was the focus of God's attention and the apple of his eye from Genesis 12 to Malachi 14. And he told his story of redemption and bringing a lost world back to himself through the nation of Israel. And then you go to the New Testament, starting in Matthew, and it's like a shift happens. And we're not talking so much about the Jews in Israel. Now we're talking about the disciples in the church. And you think, why in the world was there a change like that? What happened? It's the same thing. See, the Jews, and by and large, rejected Christ. They had no room for Jesus in their heart. They wanted to hang on to their law and their tradition and their old ways of the of past, and they could not embrace Jesus for who he was, God in the flesh, and who, what Jesus did, that he came to save people from their sins. The name Jesus is Joshua, which means the Lord saves. And they rejected that. And so God said, listen, just like the, the family rejected and the shepherds were brought in, the Jews that rejected me. By the way, is there anyone here that has Jewish descent? Anybody? Praise God. Praise God. The rest of us got included in. God, God decided to include us. In fact, in Romans 11, it talks about this. Look, it says, um, if some of the branches have been broken off, speaking about the Jewish people, 
And you, though a wild olive shoot, speaking of the Gentiles, everyone else, you have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root. He's saying, listen, I had just one people in one nation. Now I've, I, I said, I, I want to bring in all people in all nations. And he grafted us in. And the Jews' loss was our gain. But here's my question, guys. I wonder if we have no room for Christ in our life and no room for Christ in our heart, then what are we missing out on today? What is, what is he bypassing us and, and going around us and we're missing out on because we have the same attitude that they did? All this crud, unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, anger, worry, fear, all that crud. It's, it's unintentional most times, but all that crud in our hearts, it's like, it's like hanging a no vacancy sign among our, over our chest and saying, listen, because I'm so full of these other things, God, I have no room for you. And whether I mean it or not, there's not going to be room for you to work in my life. There's really no room for you to come in and be with me and change me because I'm so full of these other things in my life. And we miss out. See, that might be you. You might go to church you might go through the motions, you might sing the carols, but you, there's just, because of these other things in your life and your heart, you're missing out on the living God and Him actively working in your life. Because I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to have a little bit of fear. I just have fear. And I don't have just a little bit of worry, I have worry. And I don't have just a little bit of envy, I have envy. Those things kind of consume us, don't they? They get in and they take over. And when they take over, there's little room or no room for anything else. It's like going to the buffet. You don't go to buffet for one plate. You go to get it on. Anybody Red House after church? I'm ready, man. I don't go for one plate or two plates. I go till there's no more room left. And then miserable on the couch after. It's awesome. Oh, catfish. I love that catfish. You guys ever use that spray stuff? I don't know if it's glue or insulation or what that junk is. You know what I'm talking about? You spray a, like a drop and it becomes this big. What's that? Great stuff. That's the name of it. I couldn't remember. Thank you, Don. It's called great stuff, and it is the stickiest substance on the planet, I'm pretty sure. If you get a drop of that on you, you will stick to everything. But this stuff is awesome because if you got a crack or something and you can't fill it, you spray some of that great stuff. And I'm telling you, one drop goes this big. And I always squirt too much of that stuff and it's oozing out of everything. And did I mention it's sticky? It's really, you got to let it dry and then you cut it. Anyway. Guys, that's what happens. When, when fear comes in, it, it tries to get into every little crevice and every little crack and it pushes everything else out and it comes oozing out in our relationships. When envy and jealousy gets in, it doesn't get a little bit of your heart. It gets all of your heart and it presses in and it pushes everything out and it gets to every little crack of your life. That's the crud 
that Jesus says, look, if you'll let me in, I can dispel all fear. If you let me in, I can remove all, all worry. If you let me into your heart, I can take care of that envy. If you let me in, all the bitterness that you've held on to, I can push it out. And by my mighty power and my mighty name, I can bring a new start into your life. I say, man, I'm... How do I know if I'm, if I'm making room for God? How do I know if that other stuff's consuming me? Here, it's, it's not hard. Let me just ask you. Has it been a while since you've heard God speak to you? I'm not talking about your ears. I've never heard God in my ears. But have you ever, when's the last time you heard God speak to your heart and you knew something was true and you needed to act on it or you needed to believe it or you needed to embrace it and it changed how you thought and it changed how you lived and it changed how you treated someone else? When's the last time the living God spoke into your life and you knew it was him and you acted on it? Man, if it's been a while, there's something else in there. There's something blocking that communion. There's something blocking that communication. Let me ask you, when's the last time you got thinking about grace? You got thinking about what you deserved and you realized that God has been better to you than you could ever imagine and you deserved punishment and you deserved all this other stuff and yet God has intervened and he's brought life and forgiveness and hope and peace and you just couldn't contain yourself and you became overwhelmed by grace. When's the last time you've been overwhelmed by grace? I mean, if it's been a while, what, what's keeping you? When's the last time you got moved to tears when you realized the, the weight of your sin and yet the glory of God and the acceptance of God overcomes all of that and you just get emotional about how awesome God has been to you? When's the last time? When's the last time you just, you just thought about the goodness of God and how good he's been to you, the blessings you have in your life. And man, these other things may not be perfect, but you just honed in and you realize, man, God has been good to me. And it just set your heart at peace and you had a calmness and a joy in your heart that couldn't be taken away because you'd encountered the living God in your heart. That's when's the last time that you made that kind of room for him to have free reign in your life. What's blocking that? If it's been a while, there's something blocking. And you got to find out what it is. You need to ask God, God, what is, what's happened? Why don't I feel the way I used to feel when I was first in Christ? God, why don't I get excited like I used to get excited? God, why, am I, why don't I have joy and peace like I used to have? God, what's keeping me from having that in my life? And let God show you what that is so you can get rid of it. You want to help them out? Start asking yourself why. Why is a great question to ask yourself. Man, why, if it's jealousy, why do I love finding faults in that person's life? That's a great question to ask. God, why do I enjoy that? God, why? Why do I have fear when it comes to this situation? Why am I, why am I have so much fear about that? Why can't I trust you in this situation? And you let God speak and you let him, you let him make a new way. And you bring, and you can bring peace. You know, if it's judgment, if it's envy, that, that, some of that crud in your heart is those things. If it's bitterness, you understand that it's kind of a double whammy when it comes to those things. Because listen, God can't work on you when you're focused on someone else. That's like hanging that no vacancy sign up in your heart. 
He can't work on you when you think someone else is the problem. He can't work on you when you're fixated on someone else's faults. He can't work on you when it's, not about, when it's all about them and what they need to do. He says, no, let's just talk about you. Let's just, let's just go to work on you. You know, at Crossroads, we have the motto, no perfect people allowed, and I love that. But sometimes we need to explain that. And Jeff did this a few weeks ago. But no perfect people allowed doesn't mean that we say, hey, it's a license to sin, that we're just all a bunch of broken people and we're going to stay that way. That's not what we're saying. When we say no perfect people allowed, what we, say, what we mean is this, that this is a safe place for God to go to work on you and me. This is a safe place for you to become all that God created you to be. And this is a safe place for me to keep growing and become all that God created you, me to be without judgment from someone else. That's what we mean. That's what we believe. That, that yes, God's standards are true, but that grace is extended. And if we just keep in the journey, if we just keep submitting our lives to Christ, if we keep pursuing him, that he's going to do the work of changing us from the inside out as we allow him to do so. That's what we mean. You know, once you and I identify that crud, whatever that is, whatever you're going through, whatever's blocking communion with God, identify it and then confess it. That's it. All he asks you to do is identify it and confess it. Say, God, this is true. I've been struggling with bitterness towards that person and I need to let go of that. And, and even though they've wronged me, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that to you. I'm going to choose to forgive them and I'm going to love them. They may not be right and they may never change, but I want you to know I'm gonna, not going to let that get in the way between me and you moving forward in faith. And you confess it to God and he forgives you and he helps you move on right where you are. Where you replace fear with faith and you replace judgment with confession. And that's where God does his best work. Is there anybody you need to stop judging? Is there anyone else you need to take your eye off of and let God just hone in on you? The greatest question I can ask this morning based on what we just read is, is there room in your heart for Jesus? Not five years ago, not yesterday, today. Is there room in your heart for him? And you don't have to overthink it. If he's not an active force in your life, if, if you're going to wake up tomorrow and God won't influence anything about your day tomorrow, then you're not where he wants you to be. He wants to be an active force in your life. And if he's not, something has squeezed him out. And he wants to come back in. So what is crowding him out? I want to show you 2 Timothy 2. It says, the Lord knows those who are his. He knows if you belong to him. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Man, you want to get right with God? It's as simple as confessing to him. God, I've been, I've been dwelling on this other person. Or God, I've been allowing bitterness to take root. Or God, I've been, I've been worried. I've been in fear. And I, I need to confess that to you and stand in faith that I'm going to make room for you and you can change my life. I can be different from this day moving forward. I want to ask you guys to pray with me if you'll bow your heads and pray. We're going to enter into a time of prayer. And just let God speak. And our prayer is this. It's a prayer of confession. And God, as we've been sitting here this morning, 
listening to your word and seeing that there's people that missed out on all that you wanted to do and the blessings you had in store for them because they had something, they didn't make room for you in their life. God, you don't want that to be true of anyone in this room today. You don't want to let anyone else leave this place today and and be full of anything else except Jesus Christ. So whatever it is, you confess it to him now. God, I've been full of this. God, I'm struggling with this. God, I need your help with this. And I can't push it out myself. I need the living God to come into my heart and to push it out of my life. You ask him to do that right now. God, we invite you in to take over our lives in a new and a fresh way. Make room for him right now. And if you're here today and you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life, guess what? He doesn't get there by going to church. And he doesn't get there from coming from a good family. And he doesn't get there from singing a song. You have to personally invite Jesus into your life for him to come in. And he's waiting. He's been longing. He's been looking forward to the day that you'll say, you know what, God? I can't do this without you. Jesus, I believe you are God in the flesh and you came for me. I believe you died on the cross that everything I've done wrong and everything I've messed up, you paid the price for me if I'll just invite you in to my life. If that's what you need today, if you've never invited Christ in, he's ready to come in. He wants to be with you. He wants you to know him. He wants to take you to heaven one day. He wants to empower you to live this life in a way that is fruitful and meaningful and acceptable to God. If that's your desire, I want you to invite Jesus in right now. Say, Jesus, come into my life as the king of my life. Don't come in as a side part of my life. Don't come in as a sideshow. You take center stage of my life. I'm embracing you as my God. I'm embracing you as my leader. And I'm embracing you as the forgiver of my sins who makes me clean. Jesus, come in. And push all this crud out by your powerful name. Listen, with all of us still praying, if you invited Jesus into your heart today, we're going to have people at the back table, the next step table in the back corner. You need to come and tell us today, I've received Jesus into my life. We want to celebrate that with you. If it's been a while since you heard his voice or you've been moved to tears or God's had a powerful impact in your life, maybe you need to come forward and make this stage your altar and pray and say, God, I want to start fresh with you today. While we sing, we invite you to do those things as God leads you. In Jesus' name, amen.